What would the world look like if decisions were made by the people for the people? Dow or Never is here to break down how DAOs are disrupting traditional power structures and transforming the way we interact. If you're ready, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to Dow or Never. This is a show to help you learn about the rapidly changing world of DAOs. I'm Isaac Padka, and I'm here with Logos co-founder Jeffrey Arone. Jeffrey is an established internet and blockchain investor, advisor, and executive, and I'm a contributor and builder in many DAOs in the Ethereum ecosystem. Together, we founded the Logos DAO. Every other week on DAO or Never, we break down the biggest stories surrounding DAOs. And I think this week, the main thing that's key to highlight is we are only about maybe eight hours post-merge at the time of recording this. So how did you spend your merge night, Jeffrey? Did you stay up and, uh, did you stay up and watch it? I felt a little embarrassed uh, because I, I figured that the merge would sleep in like me. So about you know six hours later, I was like, gee, I wonder what time the merge is happening. And uh, there you have it. So it was uh, very, I guess with something like this, it was very quiet and that's not a bad thing. I guess a quiet merge is, is a successful merge. I don't know what I was expecting to change, but uh, just to, so that we should probably just back up and explain the significance of what, what does the merge mean that I've, I've seen actually covered in so many traditional news sources this week. It's been bizarre to seeing like everyone talk about Ethereum, um, like The Economist and BBC and everyone like being like, oh, the merge. So basically, Ethereum upgraded from the energy-intensive proof-of-work mining system to a very energy-efficient proof-of-stake system. And people were unsure of how it was going to go because a blockchain has never kind of undertaken a big upgrade like this. There are many proof-of-stake blockchains out there that are already running and, and working fine. But this is the first time we've ever seen such a massive transition. Um, and everything went smoothly. I mean, I stayed up until it was around like 3 in the morning here. Um, and I just remember like uh, five minutes before I submitted a transaction to be like, oh, this is my last proof of work transaction. And then as soon as it happened, I wanted to, uh, the gas up for the network shot up because I think everybody wanted to be like, oh, does Ethereum still work? And so like gas shot up like 10x or 100x just because people wanted to start like doing useless transactions just to be like, oh, I, 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 got, a, I got a transaction in after the merge. That's, uh, yeah, not me, but you did raise a good uh you did raise a good point, and that is, I think a lot of people assume that this upgrade is going to, you know, impact gas prices for the long term and also performance. the The reality is, it's this is pretty much all about proof of stake versus proof of work. Other aspects of it, transactions should take roughly the same time as as before, and gas fees should stay, and unfortunately, where they where they've been. Yeah, this is a this is really a first step major upgrade. Like this is a this is laying the groundwork for future upgrades, but there's no like just because we are now on proof of stake, we're at approximately the same amount of transactions per second, the fees are about the same. Fortunately, yeah, not not a huge scaling upgrade for Ethereum yet, but lays the groundwork and I think it's just nice because it kind of eliminates that argument of people saying like why would you run things on Ethereum? It's so bad for the environment. Now we can just move past that that argument, maybe Bitcoin will follow suit someday once they start, you know, dying out as a, <laughs> as no one uses them. Yeah, they better solve that one for sure. But, um, you know, now, now at least people will say, you know, why are you using ETH? It's so expensive. So hopefully they'll also solve that problem soon enough too. Let's see what else is going on in the ETH world. One thing that um, I wanted to bring up as well is that 
some folks have asked me, oh, what's going to happen with ETH2? Is there going to be old ETH and new ETH? And, and no, the ETH2 was something that people, that was used to talk about staking and the, you know, when, as they were working on the transition, the merge, um, that goes away. ETH is ETH. It's just less energy intensive. I had a lot of conversations with different artists and like NFT artists that were like, oh, well, uh, is, is my real NFT going to be the one that exists on like the, the proof of work version of ETH. And like, it, it just kind of goes to show how much like kind of miscommunications and, mis- and like misinformation has, has kind of come around this. Um, Cause at this point, I don't even think that there is a fork of ETH that's still on proof of work that, that, that forked from yesterday's um, from the merge um, that people are even talking about. Like, I think that people are assuming that it's going to happen, but it doesn't seem like they have their, they haven't been able to successfully coordinate enough nodes to even run this thing. So if you want proof of work ETH, I guess you can use ETH classic which diverged back in like 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on that note as well, uh, folks should be careful because there's likely to be all kinds of scammers out there saying, oh, there's ETH1 or ask, you know, may even ask you to do some kind of uh, upgrade to your own ETH. Your ETH is fine. If you held ETH before the merge and you hold ETH now, you absolutely have nothing else you need to do. Yeah, don't listen to anyone that says, hey, you got to make sure you upgrade your, your your ETH wallet. Just send us your private key uh, and we'll, we'll upgrade your wallet for you. Ignore those, uh, ignore those telegram messages. But yeah, how was, uh, how was MCON, the Meta Cartel conference in, in Denver that was uh, in early September? That's usually like a kind of the biggest uh, DAO gathering of the year, one of the biggest in, uh, in the US at least. Uh, was it a productive this year as it was last year? It was fantastic. Uh, Rachel, um, who heads up operations and all things Isaac and I are incapable of doing, um, came out with me. Isaac, obviously, you were sorely missed. But yeah, it was it was amazing on a variety of fronts. One is that it was overall just more fun. Obviously, being number two, they learned from number one. And um, there were just a lot of really fun events that happened. The content, as you might expect, was a lot more, you know, a lot more forward-looking. Again, taking all the learnings from what, what's been going on in DAOs over the past year. There's, um, you know, people have had a, an opportunity to go home and figure out what, what some of the new models are and what some of the problems are with the tools in DAOs. I noticed that there's a lot more focus, particularly this year, on figuring out really refining use cases and um, the overall interaction and usability of DAOs. There were certainly plenty of technical discussions that were way over my head, but we don't have to talk about those. The other thing, just at a, at a high level, what what I really enjoyed is obviously crypto is pretty far away from its, you know, its highs 300 or so days ago and ETH was around 4,800. But that didn't seem to phase this crowd. I think it's a it's a safe assumption here that everyone knows that everyone's been through it. They know that there's been, you know, previous crypto winter and certainly ETH is up quite a bit from what, like six weeks ago. But really, it, it didn't have that kind of gloom and doom that you felt in the crypto circles when um, 2019 hit. It was a lot more people. It, people were just very hopeful about DAOs and really just engaged, engaged in the topic at hand. So that, that was fun. I noticed that there was a lot more of a diverse crowd there too. When, you know, last year there were definitely a lot more of the 
early adopters and certainly no shortage of people that really understood the core technology. But again, it was um, it was a broader audience, great communication, a lot better opportunities for people to, to kind of interact and mingle. So it, it sounds like uh, a big topic of conversation was also like the investment DAOs, because like Metacartel was one of the early pioneers in setting up like some of the first uh, investment DAOs in the space. And it sounds like they're iterating and evolving on that on that model again with with the upcoming um, Hydra model. So I'm wondering if you like interface with any of the, the heads of Hydra that are going to be launching that. I did. And that was, so Metacartel had a, a variety of different events, but in particular, one that was focused on Hydra. And it basically introduced Hydra to anyone that wanted to attend there. It was very well attended, to say the least. And demand is, is very clearly super high. As you mentioned, all of the original, like the OGs that were in Metacartel Ventures came together and they, and they created this new fund. There's, it's, pretty well documented online, but it's, um, it's right now it's a $10 million fund and they are accepting applicants and recommendations. I have no doubt in my mind it's going to sell out. And to be clear, this is not investment advice, but my own enthusiasm for the people behind it and their track records thus far. So yeah, the concept of Hydra is basically it's going to be a fund of funds. So with the proceed with the money raised, they're going to invest in other investment DAOs. And again, my, my enthusiasm here is really for the people. They've been doing this for many years in, in DAO terms and have very many successes in identifying winners and, um, you know, coaching, coaching teams. So I, uh, yeah, that was one of the more exciting things for me. And I know, uh, Isaac, you're pretty excited about it as well. I am. Um, are, are, have you, did you see structures that were like this kind of in the pre-DAO investment world? Like were, are, were, are fund of funds of like this size and scale and, and ambition where it's like, it's not huge. Like were, were fund of funds like this something that people were doing in like the traditional VC space? Or is this something that you think is kind of unique to DAOs? There, um, it's funny. You bring up traditional VC space. It's um, traditional VCs obviously have been around for a long time and a lot of their money, you know, comes from other endowments, like university endowments who want to spread out their investments and say, okay, we're going to put X percent in venture, X percent in other high risk, X percent in commodities, whatever. I did see this a little bit more in crypto, but I'm sure there were more well thought out fund to fund type investments. But basically what, what I noticed is some of the bigger funds, someone else might start a relatively smaller fund. So you might have a fund that's 100 million, two, three, 400 million, and someone they know and trust or that might've spun out of another fund is comes up and they're like, hey, we're gonna do a $10 million fund, 20. And I noticed depending on how well-connected that person might be, funds would actually invest in funds. Now in a traditional VC world, it's it was very unlikely that you would get, say a benchmark or a battery or, any other big firm to say, hey, we're going to invest in this other venture fund. On occasion for really small, maybe some smaller incubators, sure, but um, not not nearly as much as this. Another trend that I'm noticing kind of since, maybe since Dow Palace over the summer, is just the the interest of 
traditional academics and researchers in the in the DAO space. In fact, the the thing that I'm spending the entire week doing is at the I'm, I'm at the Harvard Law uh, Berkman Klein Center, just talking about like DAOs and governance and different types of uh, and different ways that people are organizing. And something that's um, I'm just finding really interesting is like there's all these kind of people that have been doing traditional like social systems research, and there's a lot of terms that and papers that have been written about for hundreds of years that are uh, super relevant to DAOs, but I feel like are really only starting to become known to the, the, the DAO people. I mean, most of us are like devs or, or investors or something that maybe don't have a super strong background in like organizational theory. But now what I've been noticing in the last couple of months is like, there's all these academic papers and studies about different governance models and this thing that we're that I was reading about this week called like like polycentric social systems. There's all sorts of stuff that I feel like DAOs could learn from from the academic and, and legal research world. And those spaces are just I think starting to mix, um, and they're they're mixing in pretty productive ways. Like um, I guess my impression as an outsider to this world is coming in, and it's a bunch of like stuffy academics talking about like I don't know papers and and uh, having what I would perceive as boring conversations. But it's just like it's it's just like a crypto conference where everyone's just whiteboarding out these crazy systems and talking about weird things from their own lives and um, talking about uh, papers and books and stuff. So uh, I'm seeing this like mixing of the traditional academia and and legal research world and like DAO experiments in a really interesting way. And I, I bet we're going to start seeing some even more interesting and dynamic experiments that are coming out now that we've got all these like you know, lawyers and academics that are like, wait a minute, we can use DAOs to prototype an entirely new um, incentive system really quick and just see what happens rather than like running a, I don't know, a 60 year long uh, study uh, or trying to find some part of the world that they can like do like retroactive studies on. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen any uh, like results or, or different dynamics now that we've seen like more academics and, and people joining the space. Yeah, that's. I was so excited when you sent me the materials that some of the stuff you were looking at today. I've long been a champion of how DAOs could be useful for academics or even just any collective of intellectuals that want to, like, you know, share knowledge and create an entity to kind of to optimize a lot of the, I guess, a lot of the research that's been done, but that hasn't been, you know, quote unquote, productized. You sent me something earlier today about the. Um, predator-prey system dynamics. And, you know, I, I did a model like that when I was in grad school around, well, I took a class on system dynamics. And one of the examples we did was around firefighting and how counter, it's very counterintuitive, but the improvements in firefighting have actually, in many cases, led to bigger fires. And that's because in the old days, back in my day, no, like in the in the very old days, like if you had a giant forest fire, it was like, you couldn't really send out the bucket brigade. So that would naturally burn out all the brush. Well, as people have gotten better at fighting fires, brush has built up to many feet in many places. So you get these fires that are wildly out of control. Um, the predator prey one was also, it's kind of cracks me up because I actually told my kids about this recently. There, are, We started seeing coyotes in downtown Seattle. And it's like, what the hell is going on? It's because there's, I don't, I don't know, I'm sure other people have seen this, but there seems to be a bunny infestation all around the U.S. And um, yeah, more bunnies, more uh, coyotes going to come out and try and eat them. I was actually walking home from, we had a merge party like at this like, I don't know, academic building on the Harvard campus. And then like it was four in the morning walking back to my hotel last night and I saw rabbits everywhere. 
Um, so I can attest even on the, on this coast as well, uh, that, yeah. They're taking over, man. But, you know, to your point on what this, what this means for Dow's and academia, the way that I think a lot of these projects get advanced is there's very rarely some kind of organizational infrastructure around it. And if there is, it ends up being, you know, the traditional kind where it's like, hey, let's start an LLC and who owns what? And then, you know, what does a university own and how do we license this? And then a company comes in and tries to claim it as their own. I like this because, again, with a DAO, you can get a, some people together who could agree on a shared vision and advance a, a project with, you know, clarity and a degree of democracy that people establish in the beginning. So, yeah, I, I love it for system dynamics. I actually think, you, you know, I've championed this as well, the whole concept of intellectual property. A lot of times you have an IP stalemate because let's say I wanted to do something around video. Well, there's like, you know, thousands of, of video patents that go into a codec, right? And so what ends up happening is any number of organizations will own any number of patents and people just have to battle it out. And ultimately it's attorneys, not certainly not the people that created that technology that have a say. And I've always thought like you could, you could get around those companies, get around patent trolls by, let's say there's a, a new concept. People could pull together their patents and sell them. You know, you could create a specific chunk of patents around video or around any new concept and have the actual creators of that intellectual property work together instead of having to like fight against each other through patent trolls and attorneys. Nice. Yeah, we should definitely do, we should probably do an entire episode just about like de-sci de or decentralized science and maybe have like the, the you know, the, the Vita Dow, Vita Dow people on to kind of talk about the longevity research that they're funding. I think that'd be uh, so much to explore there. So yeah, big week for Ethereum, big week for, you know, human gatherings and uh, investment DAOs and also just for, just for the evolution of the DAO space as a whole. So, you know, it, it, exciting year ahead for DAOs. Absolutely. Well, um, I think that just about covers it. And um, we'll be sure to get links to most of the stuff, if not all of it, that we discussed today on, on our site. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of Dow or Never. Make sure to subscribe at logos.xyz slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at 0xlogos so you never miss out on any of the latest happenings in the Dow world. It's Dow or never.